Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today we continue with our ongoing conversation on the emerging markets as we explore where to find pockets of value within the asset class. Joining me once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back to Top of the Morning, Jing Chen Yu, Emerging Market Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Jing Chen, welcome back. Great to be with you as always, and thank you for spending some time today with our listeners and their clients. Great to be back, Dan. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So to set the stage a bit, Jing Chen, we know the Chief Investment Office continues to be positive on emerging market equities. Can you help us understand the rationale behind this view? Sure. Uh, first, if we look backward, right, um, we do see EM actually has underperformed U.S. year to day um, and also other developed markets. However, there has been quite of some, you know, dispersions across markets. We know EM is not a homogeneous set of markets. When you say EM is a, a heterogeneous set of markets or regions with varying drivers, you know, domestic um, uh, 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 these features behind. Um, Taiwan and Korea are almost up uh, 20% in local currency terms since the beginning of the year, while mainland China is still in negative territory. Over the last three months, um, India, Taiwan, Brazil have outperformed the U.S. well, mainland China, which is 30% of the index, still lags. Now, as a whole, we still think um, EM can outperform their DM peers um, for three main reasons, you know, looking for. Um, to start off, we think EM has better earnings growth, you know, prospects. In 2024, we expect EM um, to grow uh, 16% on the earnings side, which is not pricing at current valuations. Um, well, for most of other developed markets, particularly the U.S., um, they're probably uh, going to be standing around high single digits or something, you know, which is well below uh, the 16% um, estimates in our view. And second of all, um, you got really, you know, undemanding valuations. Um, currently, EM is trading at, a, you know, 11 times 12.4 P. Um, more importantly, it's trading at around 37% um, P discount with the U.S., uh, which is well, you know, uh, above uh, the, nav- the average discount level over the past 10 years. And thirdly, and I would say um, more relatedly, right, uh, you got, you know, local central banks leading position in easing, you know, monetary policy. And yet that is in contrast to their developed market peers because many because they're still talking about, you know, uh, doing more hiking or staying hiking for longer, right? Staying, you know, higher interest rates for longer, excuse me. Um, yet many EM central banks, thanks to decelerating inflation, um, have already either started or at, are expected to start easy monthly policy in the second half of the year, which in our analysis should be positive for the local stocks then. 
Okay, so now that we better understand the view behind emerging market equities from the chief investment office, Jing Chen, I know you have recently made some changes in positioning within emerging markets and have published a report, the title Pockets of Value. To get into that a bit, can you speak to your preferences within emerging markets at this time? Yeah, uh, happy to reiterate uh, very briefly. Regionally, we made positive on China. India and Indonesia. We have recently upgraded Brazil and Chile to most preferred from neutral as well. From a thematic angle, we continue to like emerging market ESG leaders. Now, Jing Chen, you mentioned that you recently upgraded Brazil and Chile and two markets in Latin America after staying neutral for quite some time. Could you provide us with a bit more color as to the reasoning behind that change? Sure. As mentioned right before, we think faster policy, faster policy pivot, uh, specific monetary policy pivot in EMs is a supportive factor for EMs local stocks. In this context, we believe those who are leading in the monetary policy normalization process are poised to do better in their local equity markets. That is one of the important reasons we have operated Brazil and Chile post, uh, to most preferred. Um, both countries have started uh, monetary easing, and we do not think they are pricing. Um, equities risk premium for both markets are fairly high. Both markets are trading at high single-digit um, uh, price to earnings, you know, um, for multiples, which is well below average. And historically, uh, Brazilian and Chilean equities performed quite well during past easing cycles. Specifically in Brazil, um, you got higher productivity it's year, uh, this year in specifically agricultural production. That should help lift the real GDP growth in 2023 to north of 2%, which is well above consensus estimates made at the beginning of the year. In the meantime, um, we expect earnings revisions, which has been negative for quite some time, to improve in the second half of 2023. Right, currently it's standing around three percent. First time, which is first time they turned positive since you know last October. As for Chilean equities, political risk has you know pushed stocks valuations well below historical averages for the past few years. But this risk, in our you know opinion, has stabilized finally. We think Chilean equities should re-rate, especially as the central bank. Set to deliver more than 600 basis points of monetary uh, interest rate cuts. While we have turned positive on these markets, we still do, you know, advise you know investors using protection, um, acknowledging the fact that both Brazil and Chile are, you know, high vol markets among EMPs in recent years. Uh, needless to say, they're vulnerable to a um, U.S. recession. In addition. China-related risk can also weigh on these two markets if growth outlook there continues to disappoint. As a result, um, we recommend investors using a funding source right, that can help to an extent hedge the commodity or China-related you know, risk behind. I want to acknowledge as well, Xing Chen, that you rightly pointed out China's growth has been challenging at times, yet the chief investment office still maintains a constructive stance on Chinese equities, why is that? You're absolutely right. Um, we are we, we are seeing strong headwinds faced with the Chinese economy right now. 
um, consumer sentiment is falling, exports are muted, and the property sector is also struggling, right, to say the least. Um, for Chinese equities, the key in the near term is that we need to see you know, more concrete and forceful policy measures to be rolled out in the coming weeks to revive sentiment. And um, we have, oh, by the way, have already seen some, you know, already, for instance, you know, the property easing, especially on the buyer side, or stamp uh, duty reduction uh, announced over the weekend, or, you know, um, uh, monetary policy, uh, uh, monetary easing being ramped up by the PBOC. But we also need to recognize that, you know, uh, markets still remain a bit cautious. Um, it was positive that the political meeting in late July provided some upside surprises in terms of policy tone in prospect, you know, of uh, property easing in major cities and or acknowledgement that local government debt issues need to be resolved as soon as possible. We still need to see, you know, and monitor the timing, the details of specific policy support in the coming weeks ahead. On the other hand, um, we still got pretty light, you know, uh, positioning by global mutual funds. Uh, in addition, the earnings growth recovery is currently underway with the internet sector um, uh, sort of yielding uh, either in line or uh, better than expected results for the uh, second quarter of the year. Also, valuations still remain quite attractive in our view, in our view right? Uh, it's trading at less than 10 times more PE. Um, so in the near term, we still hold on, on to our most preferred stance for Chinese equities for now, still waiting for policy measures to hopefully reboost Before we close out, Sheng Chen, one other item I wanted to follow up on. You mentioned India is the most preferred market. Can you speak a bit more about the market itself and why it is both tactically and structurally attractive to you at the moment? Um, Definitely. As I highlighted before, we continue to like India. Um, Domestic consumption remains on track. Um, Credit growth has been strong and the FDI flows are um, pretty solid. Um, we know as the headwinds from strong U.S. dollar start to fade, right, um, also based on our, on our view on a you know, continuing weakening dollar, India should benefit from a more uh, stable and narrow external deficit and moderating core inflation. Um, as a matter of fact, we expect India to become one of the fastest-growing economies in the region this year, um, earnings growth should continue to trough, and we think uh, derating pressure will be manageable due to peaking uh, deposit rates. Structurally, there are a couple of factors that we that are worth considering um, when it comes to investing in India. Too, um, first, it has the demographic advantage, with, which enables it to deliver an additional working age cohort of more than. 80 million people per year through the end of 2020s. And importantly, India also offers a fresh backpack cycle with low corporate leverage, which you know investors really love about. Finally, after some periods of derating, we think um, lofty market, market valuations has finally cooled off, right? Which offers 
a pretty good entry point for structural or longer-term investors. So this is these are the reasons why we have become both uh, become tactically you know attractive in India, but also remain structurally you know positive on India as well. Jing Chen, thank you for walking our listeners, our clients, through the thinking from the UBS Chief Investment Office when it comes to positioning within Brazil, Chile, China, India. A very productive conversation this morning. I do want to point our listeners, our clients, to the publication which Jing Chen has been referencing during our conversation. That title, Pockets of Value, is now available up on UBS.com slash CIO, though for clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor if you would like to receive a copy of the publication directly. Though, Jing Chen, thank you again for spending some time with us today. Looking forward to having you back on again with us soon. Thank you. My pleasure. Again, we've been joined by Jing Chen Yu, Emerging Market Strategist for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office from UBS Studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 